0: Our, uh, in our second week of our Jonah series. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 2. For those of you um, who want to find it in your Bibles, you can go to the front and look in the table of contents if you need to or just look back between Obadiah and Micah and you'll find it right there. Um, I do want to share a couple of things with you, though, uh, before we jump in uh, while you're finding Jonah. The first is I just want to share with you the result Um, what we were able to give to the Greater Impact Special Offering. If you'll remember that, that was uh, a special time of offering where we challenged you to give over and above your normal tithes and offerings, and it ran through December and January. Our goal uh, was $25,000 to go toward local evangelism and missions, uh, national and international evangelism and missions as well. So 25000 was our goal. You guys gave $39,300. So um, good job, good job. So we thank God for that. We celebrate that, that even in a time uh, of so much chaos and disorientation, uh, the first time we've done something like this that Um, You guys and our our wider Lost Mountain family uh, was stirred by God and gave generously, so we're excited about that. Another exciting thing uh, just to tell you to share with you, um, due to a a radical act of generosity provided uh, to the church by way of designated giving, um, John and Tori are going to be able to stay with us and actually stay on staff even though um, we now have Jake in place as our executive pastor slash worship pastor, yes. So they're going to be able to stay and be used by God, uh, not just musically, but across other areas in the life of our church, helping us become uh, the church that God is preparing us to be and leading us to be. That's um, super exciting. I've never quite seen anything exactly like that in my years of ministry, but God knows what he's doing. Amen. He knows where he's going. So I just wanted to share that with you. Uh, March 26, 2012, the famed director, James Cameron, uh, producer and director of movies like Titanic and Avatar, back further in the day, The Terminator and Aliens. Uh, Some of you remember those, though you may not have watched them. Uh, Cameron descended to the deepest point of the ocean floor, first human being ever to reach the deepest point On the ocean floor. It's in the Marianas Trench. And the Marianas Trench is known as the the deepest area of the ocean, right? It was explored a little in the 60s. I'll tell you something about that in just a minute. Um, But the deepest point of the Marianas Trench is called Challenger Deep. And Cameron had built a specific kind of sub that instead of being horizontal was vertical so that he could get down as the Marianas Trench narrowed toward the bottom into Challenger Deep so that he could go all the way down to the ocean floor almost seven miles beneath the surface of the ocean, nearly 36,000 feet to the bottom of the ocean floor. Pretty amazing. The trip down took him two hours and 36 minutes. He was the sole pilot, the only one, on board, two and a half story tall sub that he called Deep Sea Challenger. Like I said, two hours and 36 minutes to the bottom. Took him 70 minutes to resurface safely after his trip down there. Now, in 1960, there were two men that descended uh, deep into the Marianas Trench and into Challenger Deep. Uh, a French Man, a French, uh, actually a Swiss engineer named Jacques Picard, and a US Navy captain named Don Walsh. Walsh is still alive today, uh, but Jacques Picard has since passed. But they didn't have the technology to get to the deepest point, the actual ocean floor at the bottom of Challenger Deep. Now, probably none of us in here will ever reach the bottom of the ocean floor. Some of you know you won't reach it because you got no intention of trying. You're not deep water people, right? But most of us, at one time or another, will hit the bottom of our lives emotionally, physically, or spiritually. And often, when you hit the bottom of your life in one of those areas, you find that it affects all of those areas, that we are, in fact, one integrated human being, what sociologists, psychologists now call psychosomatic unity, that unlike the dualism that Plato taught in his day that so um, formed so much of Western culture, you can't separate your mind and body and emotions and spirit and mental reality is that we are one some of you may be there this morning some of you may feel like you're sitting on the bottom right now yet the central truth that we have already discovered in jonah and we will see this morning and we'll see again and again throughout the book is that god can take the worst thing or the worst things that happen to you and produce the best things in you this is the god we serve The God who can take sometimes what was intended for evil in your life, intended for your harm, and turn it around and use it for your good, for His glory, and for the wider good of His world. We see this over and over in this small book of Jonah. That God can take the worst things that happen to you and bring about the best things in you. And the best thing that you have to give God, to give your family, to give the world, is ultimately not what you do in your life, but who you become. But who you become across the years. I don't think our world, our communities, our families need more high-achieving people. I think we need more men and women of depth and substance. Men and women who've been formed by God. Men and women who've, devoted their life, as Eugene Peterson said, to a long obedience in the same direction. Men and women who've walked with God long enough to be made whole so that you can then be used by God to be soul healers in the lives of others because you don't need to take and pull from everyone that you come in contact with. Well, let's pick up Jonah's story. Let's pick up Jonah's story, the last verse of chapter 1, verse 17. Then we'll do a little bit uh, of quick review. Now the Lord provided, and and this this word is a picture of designating or appointing in God's sovereignty, a huge fish to swallow Jonah. You remember Jonah had been thrown out of the boat in rough seas. Now, Does the text say a whale swallowed Jonah? No, (laughs) it doesn't. Could have been a whale. Who knows? But a large fish, a huge fish. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. You think? (laughs) I got to tell you, if I'm floating along trying to keep my head above water thinking, God, can it get any worse? And then I find myself sloshing around in the internal remains of what was just eaten by a large ocean fish. Among other things, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I just want you to understand some things as we roll through chapter 2 here that can happen when you hit the bottom in your life. They don't have to happen because we play a part. Our part is the part of cooperation with the work of the Holy Spirit in our our lives, the Holy Spirit in our lives, but they can happen. And the first one we see here is that hitting the bottom can position you to trust in God's timing. Hitting the bottom can position you to trust in God's timing. Anyone in here struggle to trust in God's timing. I do. He always works too slow for me. Yeah, I struggle with that. If you were here last week, you know that Jonah's life was caught in a a downward spiral. And all of the movement in the book of Jonah up until this point has been down. God said, go, and Jonah said, no. Jonah said, no. God said, go east, and Jonah went west. God said, go to Nineveh. And Jonah went to Joppa and caught a little cruise ship headed toward the southwestern sunny coast of Spain. He was out. But God sent a storm. Jonah's taking his and He's at the bottom of the ship sleeping. The pagan sailors are praying, and God's prophet is snoozing. And they take Jonah, ask him what's going on. He says, Hey, this is my fault. Throw me over, and you'll be saved. You'll be saved. And you remember, they hesitate. No hesitation on my part. Right? But they hesitate. They try to row back to shore. But eventually, they throw them overboard and the storm calms. They worship God and commit their lives to Him. Sometimes, it's your integrity and commitment to follow God in the worst of situations that God specifically uses. As a witness to the salvation of others in your life. Stay with that long obedience in the same direction. God uses Jonah's unwilling participation to accomplish his purposes in the lives of the pagan sailors on that ship on that day. And now they're sailing toward Tarshish again. And bobbing in the water behind them is a sinking Hebrew prophet. Waves are coming up, he's struggling to stay on top, and he has hit bottom. And the tough part is, Jonah's done it to himself. Ever been there? Where you so wish there was someone else you could blame. But there's just not. You did it to yourself. Your family turns their backs on you, friends forget you, co-workers avoid you, bankers calling to tell you that you're overdrawn, your mortgage rep is knocking on the door, repo man's hiding in the bushes, outside the car, your credit card companies have hired a hit man or hit woman, it's 2021, not going to discriminate, anyone could be sent to kill you. But you did it to yourself. You did it to yourself. This is where Jonah is. And yet, when you hit the bottom, it can. It doesn't have to. But my hope and my desire, and I think God's purpose in speaking to us this morning, is to help us see that it can cause us to trust his timing. And to trust that his timing is always right. Jonah did this to himself, and yet he finds himself in the middle of unique circumstances and a situation that he would not have chosen, wondering what God's doing in his life. He's sinking, and a huge fish with a God-given GPS shows up on the scene at just the right time, in just the right place, with just the right appetite. One Hebrew prophet. And whoop! And he goes and some people struggle to believe this i would say they've not spent much time on the ocean if you struggle to believe that there are fish or mammals of whatever sort in the ocean large enough to swallow a human without batting a whatever they would bat an eye but i'll also say to you this if jesus was crucified on that roman cross that Friday, taken down dead, and he surely was, and walked out of the grave three days later. This is small ball here. If the resurrection is true, all things are possible. So don't get hung up on whether or not something like this could happen. And at just the right time, at just the right pl- place, three days later, on God's command, this large fish vomits up Jonah, at the closest point possible to Nineveh. What a ride. What a ride. God gets him where he needs to be, whether or not he wanted to go there in the beginning. So I would just encourage you with this. I would encourage you to never put a period in your life where God puts a comma. We so quickly give up. We stop praying. We lose faith. We put periods where God has only placed a comma. He's not said never, he said not yet or not right now, or hold on just a minute. Never hear the end where God is whispering intermission. Sharon and I, when we were in college and had started dating, uh, were able to take a couple of classes together before graduating. One of them was a humanities class. We had to have a, a couple of different humanities credits, and so we chose a class called Survey of American Film, which was really, really interesting. Went back to the very beginnings of the film industries uh, industry. We we went through the silent films, on to the early terrible films, on to the later early terrible films, um, and on and on. And we just looked at the industry and how films were made and how the, the industry progressed. But if you have watched some of those older movies, um, they didn't trust that you would know when the movie was over. So once it finishes it says the end." I think maybe maybe it was either either they didn't have a lot of faith in the intellect of the American public or they thought, well this is a new medium. maybe they won't notice that once everything's off the screen it's time to go. So they would just put the end. And I used to laugh at that in there thinking, we'll figure it out. It's like when you go through a drive-thru and they say, please pull up. You're like, I'm going to pull up. I just ordered. Right? You don't have to invite me to the next window. I'm on my way. Just tell me how much to pay. Look at verse two, though, because hitting the bottom can also cause you to pray like you haven't prayed in a long time. Some of you know that from personal testimony. That when things are high and to the right, everything's on the up and up, sometimes our confidence can drift in ourselves and we can get a little lackadaisical in our walk with God. But when you hit the bottom, it can cause you to pray like you have not prayed in a long, long time. Look at verse 2. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord and He answered me. It's a very personal intimate statement by Jonah. In my personal individual stress at my time and place and situation in human history I called to the Lord. The Lord of heaven and earth. The creator God of all that is. And he answered me. Church this is the God we serve. The one that we cry out to. And he answers. If you never hear the still, small voice of God, you never see His hand at work in your life, answering your prayer, maybe you need to slow down some. Maybe you need to say, God, I'm waiting, I'm listening, I'm here. Help me to discern your movements. And if you'll notice in chapter 1, while Jonah was busy running, he didn't pray at all, did he? He was too busy going his own way and doing his own thing. But now he's at the bottom. He's hit the very bottom. And he prays and God answers. The rest of verse 2 says, From deep in the realm of the dead. Could we just agree that this is not a statement of exaggeration? right? If you've been thrown overboard in a raging storm in the depths of the sea and you begin sinking and then you're swallowed by a sea creature... It's not hyperbole to say that from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You know, listening in love is one of the most healing things that you can ever do for someone else. So many people are struggling at such deep levels right now because they simply don't feel like anyone is listening to them. No one wants to hear them unless you're paying someone to listen to you. Can you imagine what would happen if if we took seriously the ministry of listening in our own church? Instead of trying to work so hard to be heard, Uh, and to manipulate circumstances and situations and people with our words, we just woke up and said, God, give me someone to listen to today in your name for your glory and for their good. God listens to Jonah here. Richard Foster in his book Prayer says that your prayer must be turned inwards, not towards a God of heaven nor towards a God far off, but towards God Who is closer to you than you are aware? Foster's not saying your your prayers turn inward to you, but he's saying if you're praying to some far off, distant entity, you've missed what prayer is all about. That in prayer, we're speaking with the God who hears. Jonah's testimony is is that there is a personal God who hears. The uh, very interesting and highly intelligent author poet, advocate, Anne Lamont, Anne Lamont who grew up um, in an atheistic home being taught from a, a very young age that there's no God, God does not exist. After coming to faith as an adult and she describes her, her uh, faith in Jesus and her, uh, her um, transformation, her redemption as like a frog hopping from one lily pad to the next moving closer and closer and closer and closer to God as she was able to understand and trust more. And and the more that I hear people's stories coming to faith in our day, that more and more is how it happens. It's a comment here. It's something they read there. It's an invite to church here. It's an event they attended. It's a little bit of scripture. It's a consistent life from a Christian friend, little by little. But Anne Lamott says this. She says that even as a little girl, I could not get out of my mind the belief that when I said hello, someone heard. How powerful is that? That a little girl raised in an atheistic home says even as a little girl in her bedroom, being taught that there was no God, she could not get away from this idea that when she said hello, someone was there. Someone was listening. Someone heard her that's Romans 1 saying God has made himself known to his creation and there will always be scoffers there will always be doubters there will be people like Sigmund Freud who say we feel weak and lonely in our existence so out of that we created a loving father figure there will be people like the evangelistic atheist Richard Dawkins who said Christians are fools to believe in a living, personal God. There'll be people closer to us like Bill Maher and a great number of the media and political elites who scoff at Christianity and make fun of followers of Jesus. Of course, you've got Karl Marx who said that religious belief is the opiate of the people, but when you look at Marxism at the best he could come up with, it hasn't benefited the world very much. So you've got a handful of vocal disbelievers. But on the other side, on the other side, there are billions of men and women throughout history who can say, I called out to him in my distress and he answered me. And I'll tell you, a person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. People can say, well, God doesn't exist, and this isn't true. And you can say, I know him. He walks with me, and he talks with me. I'm not going to sing a hymn. But a person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. And I will just tell you, the movement of the kingdom of God has never rolled forward on the backs of of naysayers, critics, grumblers, and scoffers, either inside the church or outside the church. But I also want you not to miss this, that God's movement, His interaction, His speaking and listening and responding to people like Abraham and Moses and Jonah and Daniel and Esther and Peter and Paul and Calvin and Luther and Knox and Martin Luther King Jr., and Billy Graham, and Mother Teresa was not because they were remarkable, but because of the goodness of God. The same God who listens to you when you pray. The same God who will answer you when you call out to Him. The middle of your mess is the best place to call out to God. And Jonah is about to get honest about his mess. Now, how many of you, if you were honest, you'd say, I struggle with that sometimes because I think if I can clean my mess up a little bit, then that's the best place for me to call out to God. Like, you know you're in the middle of it and you're like, Lord, I've got a design, I'm going to have a special place. I'm going to go out to one of the lakes with water and I'm going to go out at sun up because that's when all good Christians pray. Christians praise when the sun's first coming up. And I'm going to bring my Bible and a little journal because I'm going to start journaling now, God. And I'm going to have this. And God just says, no, just call out to me where you are. Call out to me right in the middle of your mess. Stop trying to fix what's going on around you and call on my name. So I think we find that hitting the bottom can cause us to trust in God's timing. It can cause us to pray like we've not prayed in a long time, but it can also cause you to be honest about where you are and where you got there. There's a sense in which when your house collapsed, you can no longer lay there underneath the rubble and say, no, everything is fine. It's still up and looking good. And this is where Jonah is. Let's pick it up in verse 3. He says, You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Who does Jonah see as in charge here? God, it's always a safe guess, yes. God, God's in control of the elements of his creation. Verse 4, I said I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. It's this picture of being trapped. Any of you ever felt trapped before? Jonah says, I was trapped, and it was out of my control. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. This is the picture of prison doors closing behind you. But you, Lord my God. You remember when he first started praying to him, he was the Lord. Now he's Lord my God. Brought my life up from the pit. Some of you who've been there could say amen to that. God, I was sinking. I was spiraling down. I was out of control. I was trapped. But you, Lord my God, brought me up from the pit. You reached down and saved me. Verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. Some of you are hard-headed, and that's what it takes. You've got to get to the point where your life is ebbing away. And this is where Jonah was, and he says, I remembered you, and my prayers rose to you. This is a turning point for Jonah, to your holy temple. He says in verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Maybe part of what Jonah was finding out here is Jonah had some idols in his life. Maybe the expansive nationalism of Israel at this time under Jeroboam II had become an idol for Jonah. Maybe his comfort and his standing as a prophet had become an idol for him. I don't know. But I know he's got idols on the mind right here. And he says that those that cling to these worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. That's so funny. This is why Scripture is so powerful. It invades our thinking that tells us that we can actually hold on to our idols And be running with God as well. But God tells us through Jonah that's not true. That to hold on to our idols is to turn away from God and his love for us. Verse 9. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. He's saying that even here in the depths I will choose To worship. It's one thing to choose to worship when everything is good. When you're healthy and your bank account is good. When you love your job and your spouse just giggles every time you come home. It's another thing when everything's upside down. And there's fear and there's anxiety and there's uncertainty. And you're struggling in your marriage, and you're struggling with your kids, and you're struggling at work to say, God, I will worship you. Can I tell you how many storms we worship our way through as the people of God? You want to come through a storm strong? Come through it worshiping God. Sing His praises regardless of how dark the night is. Be willing to proclaim that salvation comes from the Lord, no matter how you feel. Again, in the book Prayer, Richard Foster says, but when we pray, when we genuinely pray, the real condition of our heart is revealed. This is as it should be. This is when God truly begins to work with us. The adventure is just beginning. Don't worry about knowing how to pray. Just pray and just keep at it. You best learn to pray by praying. And if you don't know what to find or or what to pray, pray Scripture. Just open to the book of Psalms and start praying through the Psalms. We, We learn to pray by praying. You want to get deeper in prayer? Pray more. Just pray more. Don't worry about impressing God. Just talk with Him about what's on your heart and on your mind. Chapter 2 is finally where Jonah stops making excuses. He stops running, and he starts taking accountability for his actions. He cries out to God. He knows he is in a place and a mess of his own making. And he knows that excuses, <laughs> excuses don't produce growth. They don't lead to healing. You ever been so close with someone that you were hurting for the trajectory of their life, but there was nothing you could do Because they would not stop making excuses for the choices that they're making. You know, Jonah in chapter 2, he looked to the temple. He looked to the temple. He said, I I turn my eyes back to you. I'll look once again to your temple. The symbol of God's presence with his people. But we look to one who said the temple would be destroyed. And he would build it back in three days. We look to the one who is not just greater than Jonah, but greater than the temple. We look to the Son of God, to Jesus Christ, who entered the depths of death so that we could experience the heights of life in and through Him and His victory. We serve the one that came and lived the life we cannot live. It's funny, you can watch a video of James Cameron coming out of, his little submarine after he got back to the surface and on board the ship that retrieved his submarine. He came out a little stiff, if you can imagine. Some of you, you're going to get up a little stiff in just a minute. And we've just been at this like 30 minutes long, right? So you're going to stand up stiff. He was in the pilot pod for almost three full hours. And it is—it was 46 inches in diameter. Just enough room for him to sit down and navigate it, and work the cameras and collect samples from the bottom of the ocean floor. He said every so often he would move just a little bit, and that would get him another good period of time. Some of you—that's how you sit through church, right? You're like, got a little damage here and there. I got to move every once in a while. I got to shift, get a little more time. He comes out, he's a little wobbly. He doesn't have his sea legs underneath him, or he still has his his below sea legs. And I just want to be honest with you this morning, that if, if you're not in the habit of actively trusting in God's timing, and if you're not in the habit of regularly, consistently, intimately calling on God in prayer and spending time with Him, And if it's not the normal habit of your life, to be honest, about where you are and how you got there, when you start practicing these spiritual habits that we see straight from Jonah's life in chapter 2, you're going to feel a little bit wobbly. You're going to wonder if God is there and if he's listening. You're going to wonder if you're doing this thing right. But I'll tell you, it doesn't depend on you. Jesus carries you through. Look to him. He's the one, remember, that descended to the depths of death that we might be transported to the heights of human life and human thriving in Him to the glory of God and goodness of His world. Jesus is the reason you and I don't have to stay at the bottom. Let's stand and pray.